If you have a Bible at hand, I encourage you to turn to Acts 18. I'm sure you're finding good help as we think today about evangelism in Corinth. The world has changed greatly since the time of Paul's visit to Corinth, but basically people are still the same. Yes, the world around us has changed, particularly in technology and so forth, but we're still by nature sinners opposed to God. And the task of the church is the same today as it was in Paul's day, to bring the message of the gospel, the message of salvation in Christ to needy sinners. And so that's why we study things like the book of Acts, because it teaches us so much about how we fulfill our tasks today. Now, Corinth was one of the largest cities in the world at that time. It was a a modern, thriving city had been destroyed some time before and had been rebuilt. And so it was a city that was at the center of important land and sea routes. The city was dominated by the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Her temple was built on this imposing rock that rose over the city. The 1,000 servants who served in that temple would come down to Corinth at night to act as prostitutes. So you can imagine, it was a terribly immoral place, probably the most immoral place on the earth at that time. And the word Corinth became uh, symbolic of immorality altogether. And so therefore, it's probably one of the most challenging places that you could ever imagine to plant a church. Yet the Apostle Paul through the grace of Jesus Christ, was unable to do this. Now, when Paul came to this very imposing city, he probably was quite discouraged. He had been beaten and imprisoned, you remember, in Philippi. He had to leave, first of all, Thessalonica, and then he had to leave Berea because of the opposition of the Jews. Then in Athens, in that great center of Greek philosophy, While there were a few people who responded to his ministry with faith, the majority of people he met reacted with ridicule or just total indifference to his message. So Paul came to this very challenging city of Corinth, and as he came, he would have been carrying wounds both physically and emotionally. Later, he would describe in his first letter to the Corinthians, how he had come to Corinth. He says, in weakness and in fear and much trembling, I came to you. And the reason I share that with you today is to remind you that the work of evangelism, the work of sharing the gospel, the work of building the church, even when done by someone like the Apostle Paul, it is not done by people who are fearless and who never get nervous or frightened about this work. And that is good for us to know. God uses the weak and the vulnerable. Next week, God willing, we're going to focus on Aquila and Priscilla, who helped Paul so much. But today, we're going to focus on Paul's evangelism in Corinth and how he went about that. And the first point we're going to consider today is to persuade or not to persuade. Initially, Paul's ministry was part-time, and it was focused mainly on going to the synagogue 
on the Sabbath day. And we read there in verse 4, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now, two important words here are reasoned and persuade. Now, let's think of these two words because it tells us so much about what Paul was about. First of all, reasoned. We've come across that word recently. It's our word dialogue comes from the Greek word here. And it carries the idea of bringing people along with you, of moving people in their thinking to your position. And that's what he was trying to do. It was a teaching ministry in which he was trying to move people in their thinking. Secondly, he would persuade. The Greek word here is pipho. It means to convince, to reconcile people by changing someone's opposing viewpoint. It means to help give assurance as to what the truth is. It's to convince people of the truth. Now, we see here, gospel evangelism is aimed at the mind. It is a teaching ministry seeking to persuade people of the truth of Christ and to persuade them to respond. So, it's to be a persuasive ministry. But in 1 Corinthians 2 and 4, Paul said this about his ministry when in Corinth. You see it coming up here. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. It's the same root word as the word persuade, which talks about it earlier. So, in Acts 18, it says Paul sought to persuade people in Corinth, but in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says he sought not to use persuasive words. So, should we try to persuade or should we not try to persuade? Here in this ministry, it says two things. Now, the only way to make sense of this is to realize that for Paul, there was a persuasion that was right, and there was a persuasion that was wrong. There was a way to go about his ministry, which was what God wanted, but there was a way he could have gone about his ministry, which was not what God wanted. Now, let's look a wee bit closer at 1 Corinthians 2 and to see the persuasion that Paul refrained from. You see it coming up here. He says, my message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Now, the, the wisdom being spoken of here, of which Paul, which he rejected, was the wisdom of man, the philosophy, the thinking of which Corinth was a renowned center for. Paul, in his preaching, did not try to be clever in the way that the philosophers of Corinth for Athens tried to be clever. He didn't try and be really smart in what he was doing. He didn't want people's faith to be created by or to depend on his cleverness. And he didn't really want his people's faith really to depend on anything about him. Paul had been in Athens. 
There he had engaged in discussions with the philosophers, even addressing their main meeting at the Areopagus. And it seems to be that after that contact in Athens with these philosophers, he had had quite enough of all that clever, smart talk that he had heard there. And he saw through all that clever talk of the world. And so in coming to Corinth, he says this here. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So it seems to me as Paul, after a discouraging time in Athens, as he was coming to, to Corinth, he he freshly dedicated himself to faithfully teach the scriptural message, the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was no attempt to be clever, just straightforward preaching, teaching of the Word of God, relying on the Holy Spirit to save souls. He wasn't trying to become like a philosopher. He was just going to stay a simple preacher. Uh, this reminds me of a story of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I, I think it was Oxford University. It might have been Cambridge, but I think it was Oxford University. He was, he was asked to address a meeting, and he presented a, a simple presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some of the people who were there were very offended, basically saying, do you think that we are like a Apologies to farmers, but this is what they said. Do you think we're just like a bunch of farmers the way that you have presented that message? And Lloyd-Jones says, listen, you have the same problem as farmers have, and the answer is the same, Jesus Christ. You know, there is a, an old expression that is often used when people are praying for preachers, which says, Lord, hide them behind the cross. And this is what exactly Paul is seeking to do here. And as we share the gospel, our task is never to draw attention to ourselves, to our cleverness, to our personality, to our coolness, if we have such a thing, or to anything about us. Our calling is with humility, with love, Yes, with passion, but even with fear and trembling to teach the Word of God clearly, trusting in the Holy Spirit to do His work in saving souls. This is the good news. We don't have to try and be clever. Now, that doesn't mean we don't think about how we can share a message as relevant we can or as interestingly as we can. There's nothing wrong with that. It, means, it doesn't mean that we don't work hard in how we present the gospel message so that we do it in the best way we can. But what it means is that our faith as we share the message is never in our words, our presentation, our ability. But we're resting on two things for people to be impacted by our work. We're resting on the Word of God, and we're resting on the Spirit of God. And so we pray, we teach, we pray, 
we teach. That's our calling. So here we see to persuade or not to persuade. Paul refused to do many things the way the world would do. And then secondly, we have to move or not to move in verses 6 to 8. And we're thinking here of the location which Paul shared the gospel message. And we see that he, which was his normal practice, he began in the synagogue, which was the place where God's people meet for worship. And there's no better place to begin in sharing the gospel than where God's name is exalted, where God is worship. Gospel teaching is an important part of worship. And in seeking for people to be one for Christ, inviting them to services of worship is still a, an important thing to do. And often the best place for people to come and to hear the gospel. And so we shouldn't be afraid, particularly when there's, there's an opportunity, maybe as a special service, to invite people to come along to church. So gospel evangelism, it begins in the place of worship. But the second place where Paul shared the gospel was in people's homes in verse 7. And this ministry was very effective in the home of Titius Justice. Look there at verse 8. It says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And that ministry in which they came to believe was the ministry in the home of Titius Justice. So Paul moved to share the gospel to this home because of the opposition that he had in the synagogue. The door in the synagogue basically closed him. The opposition was so fierce against him that indeed that it was not practical, it was not sensible to try and continue to do the gospel work there. And in gospel work, there are times when doors do close for us. But that doesn't mean the end of our work, but rather it means we look to, need to look for a new direction, for new open doors in which to do the work of the gospel. Now, in gospel work, we need to realize that there are some aspects of the work which are good for a certain occasion for a certain period of time. But the time for that work in that place can end, and we need to move on and think of a different situation in which to do the work. That's what we have to keep thinking as church, because sometimes the way we have done things in the past were fruitful in the past, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't change, and there's maybe a door that closes there. And so it's important to know when it's time to change direction and to move our gospel focus to a different location. And this is where much prayer, much study of God's Word, much seeking the leading of God's Spirit is, is needed in this. Now, sharing the gospel in people's homes, let's think about that for a moment or two. That has always been a very effective means of evangelism. How it is done in people's homes can vary in pattern. There can, of course, be informal conversations, as people visit, there could be conversations over meals, just the everyday life and interactions. And I hope your home is not just a home where Christians come into, but you invite non-Christians in as well, even, for meals and hospitality. And it doesn't mean you get them uh, and in the middle of the spuds you nail them to the wall and that, but that you befriend them. And there's an opportunity in conversations to share the gospel informally. 
In times of revival, there have been what have been called kitchen meetings, where after maybe a service in a church, those who were serious about salvation would then come to maybe a house where a bit more of the gospel was explained. In modern days, courses like Christianity Explored or even good news clubs have happened in people's homes. I remember when I was working in Uri a number of years ago, uh, the churches in Uri were like a, about a mile away from the main Protestant estates in Uri. So what we did was we ran a good news club in, in the home in one of these estates. And we had kids coming to that who would never have come to the the Sunday school in any of the churches. So there's times to look at different venues and locations, and people's homes would be, I think it'd be tremendous, you know, if we had eight or ten homes, say in the next number of years, where people would be burdened to run a Christianity Explored course. Now, you don't have to do it by yourself, we can help you with that, but to run a Christianity Explored course for their neighbors, for their friends. There's so much potential in outreach in a home, and particularly if you're a family where adults and children are both Christians, then there's so much potential. Your home is a place of evangelism. Think about that. But there's a third location that Paul used, not here in Corinth, but later in Ephesus, was at the lecture hall of Tyrannus. You read about that in Acts 19, verses 9 and 10, where he taught for two years. This Tyrannus probably was some sort of philosopher, so this was gospel work in secular venues. Down through the years, gospel workers have used schools, community centers, theaters, cinemas, hotels, cafes, tents, warehouses. I remember doing an outreach in a warehouse in Wirkhurst many years ago, sports clubs, even in pubs. I know of one minister where he was asked by a man who owned a pub to, could he come and speak to the men because they're asking the, the pub owner many questions about God, which he couldn't answer. So the man says, well, I'll tell you what, you have a wee side room and I'll come a number of nights and the men can come in and I'll talk to them about God. Many different venues have been used for Bible studies and other gospel meetings. I remember when we were in Moy, we had a Christianity Explored course. We, in Moy and Ben Burb, the Moy one, we ran in the function room of the local hotel and it was a Catholic-owned hotel and the place that Protestants would not have gone to. And I can think of the first night we did that, and the, many of the Presbyterians were terrified walking into this function room. But it was an opportunity to reach people in a sense on their own ground. In Ben Burb, we ran the Christianity Explored course in the local primary school, seeking to be a place which is where people who are on church are more comfortable to come to. This is something to about encouraging people to come with you to church, not just inviting them to church, but to come with you to church. It's, we don't realize people who have stopped coming to church, how terrifying it is to come through those doors. And so sometimes there's places which can act as a bridge in doing that. Now, there's nothing sacred about a building. The important thing is finding the most suitable place to reach the unsaved. And this is the thing. If we have a heart to reach the unsaved, if we're in days where the unsaved are not coming into church the way they did in the past, that doesn't mean we don't have an opportunity. If certain doors are closing, we have to look for other doors the Lord would open. Pray about this. 
But the important thing is, do we have a heart, a burden, a passion to reach the unsaved out there, both young and old? So to move or not to move? That was the second question. Should he stay in the synagogue or was it time to move somewhere else? And it was in that situation. And then the third thing in this passage we see today is to continue or not to continue in verses 9 to 11. Paul was very vulnerable. We've already spoken of how he said he came to Corinth with fear, with weakness, with trembling. Now, you wouldn't imagine Paul being like that, all that that man had done. And the response he received in the synagogue to the gospel was hostile. Look at verse 6 closely. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. Now, if you've ever been involved in a counter like that, such encounters are painful. They're not easily brushed off and can leave lasting scars, especially if the person involved in the encounter is already someone who was fearful and feeling weak when they came into the situation. In this situation, when he left the synagogue, was Paul struggling? Was he even questioning if he could persevere in gospel work? Well, we know this at the very least. He really needed encouragement, and God knew this. Look at verse 9. Some of the best verses for gospel workers you could ever read. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. These are wonderful words to encourage us in the gospel work. Let's break that up into three crucial things here that the Lord said to Paul, which sustained him, which continues to sustain gospel workers. First of all, he promises him, I am with you. You remember when Jesus was given the Great Commission, told the disciples going all the world, he promised he'd be with them to the end of the age. And this is very important because gospel work at times when we're going through it and when we're facing difficult days or opposition, we can feel very alone. And knowing Christ's presence with us reminds us that Christ is the worker. Christ is the evangelist who is partnering with us and is beside us and who is doing his work alongside us. You know, if you're, you're doing something, you're doing some task and you're not sure about it or you're going somewhere and you're not sure, it, it's lovely to have someone who, who knows what they're about and knows what they're up to and has walked that road before. Dear Christian, as you do your work of the gospel, whether it's among our children or young people or ladies or men or wherever, you have the most experienced, the most equipped, the wisest, the most loving evangelist who is working beside you. Rely on him, because he promises his people, I am with you. Boy, isn't that wonderful? 
The second thing he says, no one will attack you to harm you. Being arrested, being beaten, and being imprisoned, being grabbed by a mob and dragged out of a city, being stoned and left for dead, must have had a terrible psychological impact on Paul. You think of sometimes he recounts that in his letters. He didn't just brush that off. The scars were there. And so, there would certainly have added a, a nervousness to Paul, particularly as he comes to an intimidating situation. But here Paul has this promise. Here Paul has this guarantee from the Lord. Listen, here Paul, you're not going to be harmed. You're not going to be hurt. Now that doesn't mean that in every situation every Christian faces as they share the gospel, they're never going to be harmed. It doesn't mean that. In times we will suffer. But the assurance is that Christ is in control. And no one can lay a finger on the Christian's head unless the Lord knows it's the wisest and most loving thing in that situation. He's in charge. He's our big brother who stands beside us and stands between us and trouble. And this protection was worked out through Galileo, the proconsul in charge of the city, refusing to listen to the Jews and to take action against Paul despite the claims they made. God was fulfilling his promise through this man. That's one of the reasons why we're, it's important for us to pray for those who rule over us. The Lord was ruling and overruling all what would happen regarding his servant in this city. The third thing he says is, I have many people. Now remember at this stage, there were few converts here in Corinth. There was Crispus and his family and a few of the, of the Greeks, but there weren't many people, you would say, compared to the population of this great city. But what has been spoken about here is that great truth and mystery of election, how God had already chosen many people in this city to be saved. And as Paul would persevere, Paul had this great assurance that all who the Lord had chosen for salvation would certainly come to faith. Sometimes it has been said, if God has chosen who will be saved, as the Bible teaches, why do we need to bother with evangelism? But such thinking, it's messed up. It has a fatalistic outlook. It's not the right thinking at all. The reason why we evangelize as individuals and as a church is because God has called us to do this. He's called us to share the gospel. He's called us to be a witness to Him. And as we share the gospel, we can do so with tremendous confidence that those whom God has chosen to save will be brought to salvation. God has not only ordained who will be saved, He has ordained how they will be saved, and He has ordained that they will be saved through the witness of His people. So, as we do the Lord's work at times with fear and trembling of great feelings of weakness and inadequacy, we have this wonderful guarantee, all who the Lord has planned to save will be saved. As we pray, as you pray, as you share God's truth, as you persevere in this, you can be sure that God's great plan of salvation 
working its way out in people's lives will happen. What a wonderful message this is. We look at a huckle today. Do we not believe that this community that we have prayed for for generations, do we not believe that God has many people that he is going to save? Our task is to be faithful. Our task is to persevere as the Lord leads us. Now, the result of this threefold encouragement that Christ was with him, that he would not be harmed, that God had many people in the city, meant that Paul would faithfully persevere. Look there at verse 11. And he stayed a year and a half, a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Are you discouraged today in the work of the gospel? Have you maybe fallen away from the work of the gospel? May these three great truths encourage you. Encourage you to persevere until that day we reach retirement from the work. And that is only when we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So what have we seen today of Paul in Corinth? Just to recap and summarize three points today. To persuade or not to persuade. We seek to persuade people, but it's by teaching the Word of God, not using worldly methods. To move or not to move, when some doors close for sharing the gospel, we look for other doors the Lord will open. To continue or not to continue, the Lord is with us. The Lord will protect us. The Lord has many people that are His that we have to reach. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. And what a tremendous word this is. What an encouraging word this is about your wonderful plans of saving people. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that when we look at the book of Acts, when we look at Paul's letters, Father, we don't see Superman walking into Corinth. But we see a little bald man with a hooked nose who was fearful, who was nervous. And yet, Lord, you used him in a mighty way. Oh, Father, we praise you. Oh, gracious God, that you can use any believer. Oh, Lord, someone has said the only ability that is needed is availability. Oh, Father, may we have openness to what you want to do in the heart of every believer. And Father, for those who aren't saved as yet, who can't be part of this mission work because they're still part of the mission field to be reached, Father, draw them to Christ even in these days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.